come and see. Come and see. This can be a powerful offer. Sometimes you're the one making the offer. Other times you're the one receiving the offer. Is this an offer you've experienced in your life? Let me tell you how it plays out in my life with my family. So our middle son, Addison, has this pretty blue Jeep, and he's got great big tires on it. He's got it, got it jacked up. He's got a winch on it. He's got a new bumper, and he says, Dad, Dad, come and see what I've done to my Jeep. Our daughter, Ansley, has a great friend group from down in Nashville, Lipscomb University, where she attends. Last fall, she said, friends, come and see the fall festival in my hometown. Try the food. We had a big, big crowd that weekend. Our oldest son, Austin, graduated from IU in May. One by one, his friends are getting married. They're telling him, come and see me get married. Come and see my wedding. Come participate with me. And then Julie. Julie, my wife, spent several days last week down in Atlanta with a friend of hers purchasing merchandise for a shop that her friend has here on the west side. Julie cannot wait to tell her friends, come and see the new items, the new, new purses we have at Opie and Eleanor's. Come and see can be a powerful offer, but sometimes it's a lot more impactful than cars or food or weddings or purses. Come and see us at the 11th Avenue Park. Come and see our services on Sunday mornings here on our West Campus. Come and see me at the baptistry. Come and see Jesus in my life. So our text this morning is John 1, 35 through 51. These are powerful verses, convicting verses, encouraging verses for us. This is our fourth sermon in our series called Enter Jesus from John 1 and John 2. We are learning to live and love like Jesus in full and absolute dependence on God. The book of John is written by the apostle John. John was an eyewitness to Jesus. He was the self-described disciple whom Jesus loved. Jeremy kicked off our series with an introduction to John's gospel. John's purpose is for you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Next, Phil introduced us to Jesus. The beginning, in the beginning was the word. Jesus is God made flesh here on earth. Last week, Phil presented John the Baptist, the messenger of hope, the forerunner to Jesus. Today, we're going to learn that Jesus is enough. Come and see. This passage repeats a fascinating pattern. Throughout the text, we see a statement or a claim of truth made through an offer, then followed with a response to that particular offer. So a powerful offer followed by a willing response. And we see this repeat over and over and over throughout the text. And finally, the passage ends with this compelling moment of testimony, this moment of worship. We encounter the forerunner again, John the Baptist. We encounter five newly minted disciples, and we encounter one, Jesus. This passage can be organized around four separate invitations. So as we dive in this morning, consider where you 
may fit in this passage. What could Jesus be inviting you to do? Who could Jesus be inviting you to be? Let's start with verse 35. The Apostle John mentions John the Baptist right away here in John 1, 35 through 38. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Then he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So our first invitation here, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. John the Baptist demonstrates a really a genuine model here of servanthood, a genuine model of humility. Most teachers develop an empire for themselves. John the Baptist, we see, is very different. His focus is not on himself. His focus is on Jesus. He transitions his disciples to Jesus, and he makes the first offer here in this passage. He describes Jesus as the Lamb of God. Jesus is the suffering servant written about by Isaiah, and Jesus is the sacrificial lamb that that is to be crucified. What a statement of truth this is. John the Baptist says, look, or another translation says, behold. He says, here he is. Don't miss him. Don't let him pass you by. His audience is two of his disciples, two Jewish men that had been loyal to him that had been loyal to John the Baptist. One is named. He is a fisherman. His name is Andrew. The other is unnamed. And most scholars would probably say that that is John, the apostle John, who is the author of this particular book. John, we find out elsewhere in Scripture, he's a fisherman as well. So these are two ordinary guys, two ordinary working class guys. And these two men, they trusted John the Baptist They were, in all likelihood, baptized by him. So his witness, John's witness of Jesus, was powerful to them. Andrew Murray writes in Christianity Today, it is when we face ourselves and face Christ that we are lost in wonder, love, and praise. We need to discover the almost lost discipline of self-examination and then a reawakened Sense of sin will bring about a reawakened sense of wonder. Perhaps then God will no longer say, Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Andrew and John do not hesitate. They immediately follow Jesus. In this instance, I believe they were probably just simply walking behind him, probably somewhat awkwardly physically following him. They accepted this offer to look. They will follow. They will follow in a much more meaningful way soon as disciples. Stay tuned for that. Jesus asked them, what do you want? What do you want? Other translations say, what are you looking for or what do you seek? Jesus is not just making conversation here, friends. He is diving into their soul. Jesus is confronting them, asking them what they really want from life. And how the disciples answer this question, this very question, it determines their future. Andrew and John call him rabbi. 
this is a title of respect. This title is used for Jewish religious teachers, Jewish masters. In the original language, it meant my great one or my superior one. This shows that their interest is piqued. They want to learn, learn more. They ask Jesus, where are you staying? They express a desire to spend time with him, to seek him out personally, to seek him out privately, to, to dig in with him a little bit more before they tackle these theological concerns and questions. So how will you respond to this invitation? Look to Jesus. Here's an idea for you. Turn to Scripture and look at who Jesus is. Regardless of where you are in your walk of faith, continue this journey through John with us. Make the book of John your own. Read it yourself. Follow along. And as you do, ask yourself a few questions. Does my personal vision of Jesus need to grow? Does it need to refine? How does John show me that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Where in my life am I looking for something else or someone else instead of Jesus? Look to Jesus. What is he inviting you to next? In our passage, we see the answer from Jesus to this question of the two disciples. It may be similar to his invitation that he's making to you. John 1.39 says, Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and they saw where Jesus was staying, and they spent the entire day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So if you have questions or if you want to refine your vision of Jesus, don't just look. Don't just look. Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. So our, our invitation is come and see Jesus. This special offer is made by Jesus himself. He says, come and you will see. This offer is much more. It requires movement. It requires action. It requires discernment. A greater level of commitment than simply looking. Time is involved. This is more than a glance of recognition. This is more than a touch. This is going. This is observing. Jesus says, you want to know me and my ways? Come on, come and see. So the disciples likely viewed this as a step or a move to an even broader invitation that would be made later. Later in John 7, 17, Jesus seeks a greater level of understanding and a greater level of discernment as he talks to the Jews there in the temple courts. He says, anyone who chooses to do the will of God We'll find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own discernment. Some of you that have been around Crossroads a while might remember our former small groups pastor, Rick Lowry. Rick now serves at a church just south of Cincinnati. Rick was instrumental to mentoring me and discipling me when I was in my 30s. He gathered seven of us together, seven men for a men's discipleship group years ago. We met weekly for over three years. And looking at those guys, three of us became elders. One of us went on staff full time, and another got deeply engaged in missions. A lot of us, several of us, continued to lead men, kind of following 
Rick's example. Now, when Rick started the group up, he wanted us to see where he stayed. So we actually spent the first six months of our group meeting at his house. He wanted us to see how he loved his wife, Becky. He wanted us to see how he interacted with his kids, Bryant and Amanda. He wanted us to witness his walk, his spiritual disciplines, his passion for Jesus. We saw all that. He desired intimacy with us, connection to us. That was huge. That was huge for us. And this is what Jesus desired right here in our text. And the two disciples responded. They're delighted by the opportunity to spend the entire day with Jesus. Think about that. Imagine that. Spending the entire day with Jesus. How cool. How cool would that have been? What a great opportunity for Andrew and John to see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. Jesus is inviting you to see him in a whole new way, to see him in a whole new light. Sight is a prevailing theme in John. So how can you apply this particular invitation to your life? A couple things. First, spend a day with Jesus. Spend a day with Jesus. We are depending on Jesus right here at Crossroads. We are resting in him. We are trusting in him. We're having sabbaticals with him. We're having reset days with him. Maybe you could spend a full day with Jesus once a quarter. Maybe it's every couple months. Be intentional about it. Plan it. Plan a full day alone with Jesus. Just you, Jesus, your Bible, and maybe a journal. Pray with him. Listen to him. Commune with him. Second, join a small group. Find a mentor. Come and see Jesus in community. It's more than just yourself. Find someone to lead you. Observe them. Learn from them. Grow with them. It worked for, for Andrew and John, and there's no question it worked for me. Changed my life. Find a small group. Find a mentor. Now, a lot happens in these next verses. I'm going to read this from uh, my Bible. So the Apostle John writes in John 1, 40 through 48, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you 
while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. The next invitation is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. These verses have one implied offer and two verbal offers. So Andrew finds his brother Simon and he brings him to Jesus. Jesus makes this powerful offer to Philip, follow me. Philip makes an offer to Nathanael, come and see. The text says the very first thing that Andrew did was go and find his brother. Andrew has a sense of urgency here. And while Andrew is one of the 12 disciples, he would not have been nearly as well known by the readers. So John describes Andrew as Simon Peter's brother. D.A. Carson says, I love this, Andrew thus became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that the most effective Christian testimony is the private witness, friend to friend, brother to brother. Andrew promptly makes the claim of truth. We have found the Messiah. John explains that this is the Christ. Simon would have been thinking, could this be? Could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah that is to overthrow Rome, to lead the Jews? Jesus, though, came for a different reason, didn't he? Simon would soon find out. Jesus came for his salvation. Jesus came for our salvation. Messiah means anointed one, one set apart for service like the priests and the kings and the prophets of the Old Testament. Christ is a title for Jesus. Christ is not a last name like Smith or Jones or Langston or Evans. Jesus is unique. He is unique. Jesus looks at Simon. He immediately changes his name, gives him a nickname. He calls him Cephas, which is Aramaic for rock. And this is translated Peter in the Greek. This is not the first name change in the Bible, God changed the names of Abram and Sarai and Jacob to Abraham, Sarah, and Israel. We see in Scripture, Peter is unstable. He is impulsive all throughout Scripture. He's anything but a rock. But as Kenneth Barker writes in the NIV Study Bible, Jesus named him not for who he was, Jesus named, named Peter not for who he was, but what he was to become. How cool is that? So Peter would lead the establishment of the early church. And Peter responded. He responded to this offer of Andrew by accepting his new name. Peter has a new identity. We have a new identity in Christ. And next, Jesus finds Philip. And this is important. Jesus was searching Jesus wasn't lost. It was Philip that was lost, not Jesus. So Jesus makes the offer this time. Jesus says, follow me. And the act of following the New Testament often means to become a disciple of. Disciples, learners, and followers were quite literally people who walked after their teacher. They learned the words of their mentor, their master. They remained or they abided with their teacher. What an offer this was. So for you and me, following can be just a very small, simple step forward. 
We want to see Jesus move in our lives, don't we? If we want to see that, guess what? We got to take a step toward him. We need to make a move. It can be a small step, a small step of faith, moving closer to Jesus, pressing in to Jesus with anticipation, with eagerness about what he is going to do in our lives. And then we see him go to work. And isn't that awesome? So Philip responds by acting on this opportunity to follow Jesus. He seeks another. He found Nathaniel. So now we see this multiplying effect of the gospel. Nathaniel is from Cana. This is a nearby town to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is where Andrew and Peter and Philip are said to be from. So Nathaniel, his name means God gives or God has given. Needless to say, Nathaniel has given quite an offer here. So Philip claims that Jesus is the one He is the one written about in the law and the prophets, the first two parts of the Hebrew Old Testament. This is a bold statement by Philip. This would arrest the attention of any faithful Jew. Basically, what Philip is saying is Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus claims he is Jesus of Nazareth. Philip also claims he is the son of Joseph, which kind of demonstrates his humanness or his humanity. Now, Nathaniel's initial response is one of doubt. It's one of skepticism. You see, people in his hometown, people, people from Cana, despised those that were from Nazareth. Nazareth was just a dumpy little town, less than 2,000 people. Nathaniel expected the Messiah to have connection to the heritage of King David. He was supposed to come from Bethlehem, according to prophecy. Nathaniel's response is really pretty understandable under the circumstances, isn't it? How often do we judge someone based upon where they're from? How often do we judge someone based upon what we think of them? How often is is our first response one of doubt, one of skepticism until we find out more information? But fortunately, Philip does not give up. Philip makes the third offer here in this section of Scripture. He tells Nathanael, come and see. He repeats that offer that Jesus made to Andrew and that Jesus made to John earlier. Jesus reenters by making a claim about Nathanael. He describes Nathanael as a faithful Jew, an Israelite without deceit. And we will see in a bit that Jesus is comparing him to Jacob. Jacob was a forefather of the Jewish faith. Now, although Jacob was revered by the Jews, Scripture is very clear about Jacob. He is a deceiver. So Nathanael responds by asking how Jesus knew him. How did you know me? So Jesus demonstrates here a supernatural knowledge. He claims he saw Nathanael under the fig tree before Philip called him. Fig trees in the Old Testament, they were a symbol for home a symbol for prosperity. Fig trees were common places for devout Jews to pray and to study Scripture under the shade in a hot day. This completely fits the description that Jesus has for Nathanael as an authentic Israelite. Now, now Jesus has the undivided attention of Nathanael. 
So let's look here at the example that Philip provides in this passage as we follow Jesus. Philip brings others along with him, even if he didn't have all the answers. Philip did not have it all figured out. Philip is bold. Philip is willing to invite another. He's willing to look foolish. He's willing to take a step of faith. He's willing to follow Jesus with his words, with his actions. Let's apply the example of Philip to our lives. Take a step of faith. Take a step of faith that could make you look foolish. Ask someone if you can pray with them. Invite a coworker to read the book of John with you to follow along throughout this year. Follow Jesus by rearranging your life in a way that seems really odd to people or strange to people. Others may ask you, your friends may ask you, why would you incorporate your faith in your business? Why would you pray as a family at McAllister's over lunch? Why would you just travel out of town on the weekends? Why do you stay around here to go to church? Follow Jesus with your words and your actions. These final three verses close out the passage with a bang. John writes in John 1, 49 through 51, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. Then he added, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open. You will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The last invitation for us in this passage is to worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. And these verses are the climax of the passage. Nathaniel testifies. <laughs> he provides his testimony. He worships Jesus because of who Jesus is. First, he shows respect by calling Jesus rabbi. Then he says, you, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. The combination of this heartfelt witness by Philip and this miraculous knowledge that Jesus demonstrate, demonstrates, it's removed all doubt for Nathaniel. For the first time, Nathaniel sees. He sees the Son of God. He sees the promised one. He sees the king from the line of David. He testifies. He worships Jesus in this moment. Peter makes a similar confession of faith to Jesus in Matthew 16, 16. Jesus asks him who he thinks he is. Peter, who do you think I am? Peter claims you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Now, we're not done with the passage yet, and we have a promise of truth here by Jesus. Jesus recognizes that the faith of Nathanael is in part based upon his supernatural knowledge. Jesus is really asking a question here of Nathanael, isn't he? He's asking, do you believe, Nathanael, because I saw you under the fig tree? Do you believe? Jesus says, if that's true, if that's why you believe, let me tell you, Nathanael, you're going to see greater things. You're going to see things that you can't imagine. Jesus 
understands the newness of Nathaniel's faith, it will require more evidence for Nathaniel over time. You see, God continues to reveal himself to us time after time to comfort us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to bolster our faith. My dad had an independent insurance agency for over 30 years here on the West Side, and he tells stories about how early on, as is the case with all new businesses, time was tough. The money was not flowing. So, but my mom and dad, they were faithful to Jesus. So they would give to the church even when money was tight. And they said several times, many times, God revealed himself to them. God manifested himself to them. God showed them greater things. In one particular time, uh, there was a building campaign at church, and they wrote a check for $1,000 to church. Didn't have the money, but they wrote it anyway. The very next day, the very next day, one of my dad's clients came in with a premium payment, exactly $1,000 of cash. You see, God reveals himself. God shows us greater things. And we're not saying you need to give for the purpose of being blessed. This is not a prosperity gospel message, right? But if we are dependent upon him, he reveals those things to us. What a blessing that is. Finally, Jesus adds, very truly, I tell you. Another translation says, truly, truly, or I love the old King James, verily, verily, (laughs) right? What's this mean? It means amen, amen. So what Jesus has to say here is emphasized, like saying amen at the end of a prayer. Plus, Jesus says it twice. When Jesus says something twice, you better listen, right? So Jesus wants Nathaniel to pay attention. He wants him to listen. And Jesus alludes to a story here that Nathaniel would have known from Genesis 28. In this particular story from Hebrew Scripture, Jacob has a dream. The forefather Jacob has a dream, and he sees a stairway resting on earth, and the angels of God were sending and descending on it. In the dream, God taught Jacob that he, that God was with him, that God was present in the world. God promised Jacob that the very land that he stood on was blessed and that he would possess that land. God provided a blessing to Jacob, and he said that his his descendants would multiply like the dust of the earth. Powerful words from God. Well, Jesus parallels his personal presence on earth to this particular story of Jacob. Jesus describes himself as the son of man. This is his favorite self-reference, his favorite way of describing himself. Jesus says that he, that Jesus is the link between heaven and earth. He's the ladder. He's the stairway to heaven for Nathaniel and all those that follow him. Now, we're inclined to think that we climb this particular ladder to get to Jesus. But isn't it comforting to know that Jesus came down the ladder to get to us? It's his doing. It's his doing, not ours, that provides salvation, that gets us to heaven. 
right? How comforting is that? So what does this mean to us? How should we respond to this incredible truth? Jesus is the Son of God. This can be the culmination of spiritual growth for us as Christ followers. Worship Jesus. Worship Jesus because of who he is. Respond rightly by worshiping Jesus. Make regular worship a part of your life. This morning has been awesome, worshiping Jesus through song. But worship is so much more, friends, than Sunday morning. It really is. Worship Jesus through your testimony, how you testify with your faith. Worship Jesus through your giving. Worship Jesus by how you love your family. Worship Jesus by how you serve your church. May your life be a testimony, just like Nathaniel says. Jesus, you, you, Jesus, are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. May that be our testimony. Jesus is enough. Come and see. Jesus is enough. Come and see. As we close, what could the greater things be that Jesus wants you to come and see? Could you imagine walking with Jesus for over three years? The disciples learned from Jesus. They learned from his parables. They learned from his teaching. A few of them actually witnessed Jesus changed. They witnessed him transfigured before their eyes. The disciples saw him turn water into wine. That's our next story from John. They saw him give sight to the blind. They saw him give sound to the deaf. They saw him give steps to the disabled. The disciples saw Jesus crucified. They saw him dead on the cross. And they saw him rise. They saw him with them in their midst. The disciples saw those greater things that Jesus had promised Nathaniel. They saw it. They saw it all. You know what, friends? That exact same promise is available to you. That exact same promise is available to me. We can see the greater things that Jesus is promising. Jesus was enough. He was enough for the disciples, and they followed him. They left their businesses. They sold their possessions. They started the early church. The disciples had full and absolute faith, full and absolute faith and dependence on God. Jesus is the stairway. He is the link between heaven and earth. He is the way up. His grace provides us the way. So how will you respond? Look, come and see, follow, worship. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are the way. You provide the greater things in our lives. May we look to you, Lord. May we come and see. May we accept that powerful offer. 
May we follow you as disciples. And Lord, may the culmination of our faith be our testimony through our lives, through our words, through our actions. May we worship you. Show us those greater things, God. We want that in our lives. And when we receive those things from you, God, we are going to give you all the glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.